0: Hello Freedom Fighters, thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood, and today I'm joined by my friend and fellow digital nomad. He's a full time nomad living in Medellin, Colombia, Uh, but he actually started out as an English teacher in, uh, I want to say, how do you say it, Tom?
1: Maswan? What's the name of the place? Yeah, it's uh, Masan. Masan,
0: Masan, Korea. And um, now he kind of works as a consultant to help other. Uh, people who want to break free, who want to live abroad, work abroad, and start their own business. He uh, was teaching in Korea and then he became a freelancer. Now he helps uh, freelancers to uh, earn more money through platforms like Upwork. He has a Udemy course. He has a brand called Freelance Hustler. And he also has a company called Gingerbread Marketing where he works with B2B software companies. So... um, just, I'm really excited to talk with him to learn about how he's done it, how he's uh, created this life of freedom and independence for himself, and we're going to have a lot to share on this call. So thank you, Tommy, so much for being here. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here, my man.
0: So I think that uh, teaching English is a great way for young people to kind of get started, to get the training wheels, to... Um, the confidence to leave home and uh, you know pay off their debt and um, earn a little extra cash on the side perhaps you could tell me about you know where you started out where were you when um, you started on this journey how long ago has it been and uh, maybe just introduce yourself and, and tell me what it was like
1: yeah definitely I think that's a pretty good place to start well I uh, I actually just turned 30 years old uh, this last January 9th um, and i didn't start my journey abroad till a little bit later than most people when i left the united states to teach english i was 26 so uh for most people that go and do that type of journey uh, i'm kind of on the older end uh certainly doesn't mean that uh you should be discouraged to uh make the jump if you're a little older but that's kind of when i when i did it um, prior to that, I worked in a variety of different types of sales jobs in the corporate world, uh, kind of the same story as a lot of digital nomads, and really was just trying to look for a way to do something different and experience the world. Um, and teaching English was a, it was a great outlet for me. It was a great first step uh, to the life that I continue to lead today.
0: Did you feel like you had um, any blueprint or you had any idea what you wanted to do with your life when you were uh, taking on these sales jobs? I mean, how did you feel at that point? Did you feel like you were a little bit listless? Like, did you feel pressured to kind of figure your life out? What was that like?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I kind of blame it on lack of planning and just not being really prepared for the real world. Um, I grew up, Uh, upper middle class kid in a town called Carbondale, which is close to Aspen. And quite honestly, I I don't think I really had to do uh, too much for myself until I graduated college. Uh, So I kind of floated into a job where I was selling commercial insurance. Uh, And it was just one of my dad's friends who owned the agency that was able to hook me up with a gig. Uh, I felt really helpless, to be honest with you. And I stayed there for two years before I made any sort of move uh, kind of in a different direction. So I, th- I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, whenever you grow up in that environment, uh, that suburban, you know, upper middle class environment, it really works against you because you don't really learn how to uh, survive on your own. I mean, I never learned how to wash, you know, clean my own laundry until I was already an adult, for example. Um, <laughs> you know, but whenever you're giving like a, yeah. uh, a Mercedes or a car, you know, when you're on your 16th birthday, that you didn't have to earn um that really kind of like uh I want to say it kind of like cuts off like half of your life there because you you don't really you know, you're just given opportunities, you didn't have to earn them. And I think that's actually a weakness when you're trying to make something for yourself, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's actually <laughs> there was a point in my life when I came to that realization um that wow, like I have always had everything and I've never really had to earn like a whole lot in my life. I don't really know like what rock bottom is. And I would like to experience that in some way so that I can experience the growth that comes with it. Uh, So I actually read this book uh, before I started to make a lot of changes in my life that was kind of the catalyst for a lot of things that I did. It's called The Millionaire Next Door by uh, Thomas Stanley. Have you ever read that book?
0: No, I actually haven't heard of that one. Tell me about it.
1: So it's, uh, I mean, the basic premise of the book, it talks about how people can become really wealthy just through like systematic saving um, and how kind of the plumber next door can end up being a multi-multi-millionaire by having a good strategy in place and accumulating wealth and taking advantage of compound interest, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a more interesting part of that book that really stood out to me. Uh, there's like a graph in that book at some point, and it talks about this concept called economic outpatient care. And it it actually just it basically calls out like upper middle class kids and talks about why most of them never really succeed in life um, because throughout their life they they get just enough help to never really fail, but never really be able to succeed. And it doesn't motivate them enough to actually like get beyond a certain level. Um, And in order to actually get the desire to really go beyond and kind of tackle whatever comes next, um, you know, a lot of times the people who start out lower actually have a better end result in life, uh, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. It's kind of that whole concept of, um, I, I mean, on a bigger level, it kind of all ties into that nanny state concept. Um, you know where each individual doesn't really have to take much responsibility for their life. You know the government provides certain things for them. Um, they they get their employment and um, you know the company already handles you know putting money in their IRA or their Social Security fund and a lot of the money that they earn you know they don't even like um, it, they don't even have access to it. You know it's just kind of distributed by their company or their employer or by the government uh, and so. I think that that's really something that really holds most people back, uh, but you mentioned that you said that you wanted to experience rock bottom uh, as like a, a learning curve, that's something you wanted to embrace. Did you experience rock bottom, and what was that like, and what did you learn from it?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely did. Um, like I, After I read that book shortly after, I kind of decided like, all right, I'm going to I leave Colorado. And make my first step out. And I'm just gonna save as much money as I can and I'm just gonna go see what happens. And the first thing I did uh, was just, I saved up like five grand or something, uh, because at that point that's all I had. And I just drove out to New York um, and I started looking for jobs. I lived with some friends out there for a few months. Uh, I didn't find any work. And before I knew it, I was starting to be in debt. My money ran my ran out pretty quickly out there. Um and I, I actually got a job offer in Chicago. So I left New York and on my way to Chicago, the job offer, literally as I was going to Chicago, the job offer fell through. Um, so I got to Chicago. I was in debt. Uh I the job offer that I had fell through. Um, I had to live with my aunt and uncle in a suburb of Chicago called Plainfield during the middle of the winter. Uh, I ended up getting to be over $10,000 in debt and had no work and really had to find a way out. And that was like one of the most depressing times in my life. I can remember just staring in the mirror, uh, like crying and and trying to laugh at the same time because like I knew I would get out of it. And like I knew that I kind of wanted that in a way. Um, But that was that really spurred me on to figure it out. Uh, I ended up getting a job downtown Chicago. Um, working for, for a trade publication, which is kind of a weird job, but, uh, (laughs) I started out in like a a boiler room type situation, uh, hundred percent commission. I worked there for an entire year, uh, got myself out of debt, uh, got promoted twice. I was making over six figures by the time I was there managing six, six or seven people. Um, and you know, throughout that time, I, I still made the decision to go to Korea, but, uh, that was That was kind of uh, the the initial progression for me.
0: So you set off to make it on your own, and you ended up $15,000 in debt. So (laughs) was that kind of what you were expecting? I mean, did you expect it to be hard like that?
1: Well... I don't know. I guess I, yeah, I I expected it to be hard. Um, I didn't really have a goal I think was the problem. Uh, I probably met with like 40 different people in New York, just knocking on doors, um, looking for jobs and I didn't really have a good pitch. They're like, why are you here? And I was like, well, (laughs) I don't really know. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I didn't expect it to be that hard, but if you could go
0: back to that, that situation, would you have done things differently?
1: Uh, no, because I think I just, I, I think I needed to do that, you know?
0: Okay. So it set your feet to the fire and then you came clawing back.
1: Yeah, I think it was, you know, maybe I, I could have done it a little bit more strategically. Um, I could have, you know, easily just gone to Korea before that, but I still felt like I needed to almost prove myself in the corporate world. I had never left corporate like Colorado And really gotten a job for myself uh, in my life. So there was a lot of like that that I felt like I needed to prove to myself as well.
0: Okay, I see. So what gave you the idea to teach English? Where did that idea come from?
1: (laughs) Well, pretty quickly after I got out of debt. uh, I I mean, I spent an entire year trying to get myself out of debt. And then once I did, um, I, I didn't really... I felt relieved, but I didn't really see, you know, uh, okay, cool, now I'm out of debt. Like, am I going to continue working at this job that I hate, um, or like, am I really going to live now? Like, what am I going to do here? Uh, and I always had the desire to travel internationally. I did study abroad in in college in Barcelona, uh, and I had heard about teaching English in Korea. Um, I always really wanted to go get my Spanish on and uh, become fluent and kind of head down to to Latin America, but, um, but I had, I had a couple people over in South uh, Korea that I talked to about teaching English. It sounded like a really good deal. Uh, and when I figured out how much money you could make over there, um, it sounded like I'd be getting a really awesome experience, uh, and still be able to save money before kind of making another jump.
0: So you're really just kind of motivated, inspired to travel. You wanted to kind of break free from, um, I guess the this, this static form style of living, or I guess, or just you started out with this sheltered uh, upbringing in in Colorado, and you just felt like there was more to life, so you wanted to to go out and see what else the world had to offer. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a really good point. And like many people uh, in the audience and that are on this trajectory in life, I did also read the four hour work week, which was a book that really inspired me to, to change my life and just really take action and kind of got me in touch with my mortality. Um, I realized, you know, if not now, never, um, kind of like, when am I actually going to do this? Uh, And those were really big motivators for me. But I guess when, when I got out of debt and when I was making six figures and I had a like a corner office on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, uh, I, it didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel, you know, it, it was really empty.
0: Did you have any fears about um, leaving your life behind? What was that like? I mean, you know, just leaving to, to cross uh, to the other side of the world. Uh, what Were you afraid that you might get kidnapped or uh, that you would get <laughs> robbed or anything like this? Because I know everyone has those fears, you know.
1: Um yeah, well I have I have been uh held up at knife point in Colombia, but that's a different story. So that <laughs> stuff that stuff really does happen when uh <laughs> when you take off.
0: Well what what happened but, next? Uh, what happened next? Don't don't just uh leave us hanging.
1: When I got when I got robbed did, in Colombia?
0: Yeah, did you use your karate skills or what you, what happened?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I I lost my cell phone. And fortunately, I was with uh, a Colombian friend of mine who acted pretty quickly. And he threw a handful of Colombian pesos at the thieves' face and kind of distracted him. Uh, so we took off after him. Uh, it was kind of like a like a cartoon type situation. And then there was a security guard that came out with a gun, chased this kid back the other way. It was just, uh, just, just a hoot kind of, but, uh, that was, that was here in, in, in Medellin where I'm at now. And, uh, and yeah, certainly that was like a a pretty crazy experience.
0: I love those stories because you can always laugh about them later, but they're not so funny when uh, you're in them.
1: (laughs) Oh God, no. Yeah. I was shaking for a few days after that.
0: That sounds like uh, just a couple weeks ago I was in the forest and um, I was all alone and I started getting all these leeches on my feet and I was like screaming and running and I was like, ah, but I was like terrified, you know, at that moment. But then like I can look back and realize how ridiculous it was, almost like a cartoon moment, like you just said. Uh, those those kind of tend to make the best stories. <laughs>
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I saw your post on Facebook about that, man. That's, uh, that sounded pretty wild as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was pretty horrifying when I was in that moment, but, um, kind of funny to laugh about it. Uh, so, so I think that teaching English is a great opportunity for people who, um, you know, maybe they haven't figured out their, their vessel to freedom. Um, and I think there's a, a huge opportunity for native English speakers, for fresh college graduates. Um, A lot of them, you know, really young that are are teaching English uh, abroad. And um, there's it just seems like there's far more opportunities than there are available teachers. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, teaching English uh, abroad is such a great opportunity to get out there and see the world. I mean, English is the, the the number one, really the number one most widely used language in the entire world. Uh, so it's, it's highly valued and and everyone out there needs to speak it. And there's so many countries that lack in English that need good quality teachers. Uh, so for someone from the States, uh, you know, looking for a way to get out, uh, really (laughs) there's no excuse, uh, when you have so much opportunity as a native English speaker, uh, to make that first move and teaching English provides you, uh, with the opportunity to really have kind of a soft landing no no matter where you go to, uh, to really start start your journey in a way that is is profitable, which uh, i think is is kind of uh, is kind of crazy if you think about it it's a it's it's an incredible opportunity
0: yeah and if you're listening to this and you 're in the first world and um, you haven't been abroad uh you might not realize that uh, people who speak English as a second language outnumber native English speakers by three to one. And, um, you know, if, if you ever travel, like, if Chinese people come here to Thailand, I mean, they're speaking English to one another. They're not speaking Chinese. They're not speaking Thai. Uh, so English has really become, like, the hot thing across the globe. Uh, and there's a huge demand for teachers out there, especially people that teach teach people proper grammar, uh, which seems to be um, the main thing that's lost in, in second language, English speaking. Uh, <laughs> But tell me, why, yeah. don't you, why don't you tell me and um, anyone listening to this, you know, what, uh, what kind of questions people ask, you know, what, what has it been like, you know, what advice can you give to people who, um, you know, might be considering this, if they want to find a good job, um, you know, what should they look out for, or what should they avoid?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there there are definitely a few things to consider when you're teaching English abroad for the first time, if you're looking at that, at that as a real opportunity. And I think location is the primary factor because that's directly correlated to how much money you're going to make. Uh, so, if you're looking to go to what could seemingly be a less desirable uh, location initially, uh, like for example... Uh, a lot of places in East Asia. I ended up in South Korea. You can make a lot of money in Japan or China or Taiwan uh, as well. You can make a lot of money in the Middle East uh, as an English teacher. Uh, and then there are other places where you can go and just live a relatively comfortable lifestyle, uh, depending on where you're at, um, to, uh, to do that as well. So I would say the first thing is to uh, maybe decide where you want to go. Um, And then kind of like reverse engineer it from there or depending on the situation that you're in like for me It was really important to make some money and and save a little bit more Before I made an additional jump. So East Asia is a really great place for that
0: How much money did you have saved up before you left?
1: Um (laughs) (laughs) I uh, I'm kind of a hustler. So I uh, I saved Over $25,000. I think that's very uncommon uh, I did that in like 17 months. I got that a job was, at a private language.
0: That was when you that was when you left Korea, right?
1: Yeah. By the time I left Korea,
0: okay. Well, how um, much, how much had, did you have saved when you when you left the US uh, in the first place?
1: Oh, like two or three thousand dollars.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, so you were fifteen thousand dollars in debt, and you ended up paying that back through this uh, boiler room type sales job, and then you had about two thousand dollars. That's all you needed, really, right? I've, I've heard stories of people, um, teachers who arrive like in Korea or Japan and they have maybe a hundred dollars in their pocket.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. You don't need like much at all. Um, I definitely had a lot of friends. Uh, I had like a little bit of breathing room, right? I think, I I think I had three or $4,000. So like, that's probably, honestly, that's probably 10 times more than the normal person has when they go over there. Um, uh, but yeah, like you get there, and if you can hang out for like a couple days, maybe a week, you'll get your first stipend or whatever, um, which is usually three or four hundred bucks depending on the school you're at. And that'll tide you over to your first paycheck generally.
0: Okay, fantastic. So we usually refer to this as kind of the freedom number uh, that you need to um, quit your job or to travel, start a business. And um, it sounds like you don't really need a whole lot when you teach English because I know that uh, they also compensate. Um, they, they provide you with housing, uh, free housing in Korea and I think in China as well.
1: Yeah, free housing in Korea for sure. Uh, a lot of places in China also will do that. Um, it's actually a very similar deal in lots of places in China and Korea. And you'll make around $2,000 U.S. per month. And you'll also be, they'll, they'll generally pay for your health insurance. Uh, and then of course, you know, your housing, which I mentioned, and you know, you're on the hook for your cell phone and like your energy bills, uh, which probably come to like 150 bucks a month max. So you're doing, you're doing pretty well.
0: What was your daily budget? Like, did you set a a budget for yourself? What did you, how did you handle that?
1: I was like super Spartan when I first got there and saved everything and tried not to spend, just tried not to spend. Uh, so my first budget for the first few months, like I was saving, I lived off of like maybe two or $300 uh, total for the entire month. Um, but that was like, wow. that was pretty sparse. So you're
0: only spending it on food, is that right? And just electricity?
1: Yeah, I was just spending it on food and the electricity bill. And in Korea, it can get pretty cold. So during the winter, your electricity bill can actually be pretty expensive. Um, Usually not over like $100, but still $100 for a small studio apartment Um, on heating can be kind of expensive.
0: And the food is pretty inexpensive there as well?
1: Yeah, the food's relatively inexpensive. There are tons of side shops where you can find uh, really economical places to eat and get local Korean dishes that you could get you know meals for around four or five bucks for sure.
0: Oh yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, so do you have any other, uh, I guess, travel hacking tips or um, things that you would suggest to, to save money or to uh, get more out of your, your time abroad?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think as far as saving money goes, um, earning more is like an option in Korea. Like it's against the rules, but I taught a lot of private classes. And if you teach private classes like one-on-one, you can make a a substantial amount of income in cash. Uh, A lot of people do it. Um, I don't really know how against the rules it is because it doesn't necessarily seem frowned upon. Um, And people are pretty public about it. Uh, and I also got an additional job at a corporate, uh, corporate company. I taught at general motors as well and got paid out, uh, really well for that. Um, the general motors job, I kind of got lucky with, so don't count on getting hooked up with a sweet corporate job, but private classes, anybody can, can seek out.
0: You told me about that before you said that it was just the connection you made at your gym, right? The local gym.
1: Uh, the, like a lot of the private classes were connections that I made at the local gym. I actually, (laughs) there were a lot of, uh, like older Korean women, (laughs) like moms that, uh, would come up to me at the gym and ask me to teach like their children. Uh, so that's (laughs) how I got all those jobs. And then, uh, and then, yeah, my, my boss at the private Academy, he was actually friends with, uh, someone who coordinated the language classes for General Motors in Korea and that's how I got, uh, got that job which was which was super sweet. I don't really know how to advise someone to look for that, but if you can find it, the payouts are pretty big.
0: I think uh, that's a great tip there is that uh, I, I make a lot of contacts at the gym. you know if, if I were to arrive at a new country um, like India for example or something I would sign up for like a local gym membership. Uh, and, you know, if I wanted to find, like, a, an apartment or something, I would ask around at my gym, most likely. I, I don't know what it is about the gym, but it's it's just a great way to kind of meet other people who um, who you can be friends with, really, and, you know, just, like, share information and stuff like this. I don't know what it is about the gym, but something about, you know, when you work out together, uh, all the, there's all these endorphins and stuff, and everyone's in a good mood, and... Uh, <laughs> Especially when it's a local gym and not like a, a chain, you know, like um, 24-hour fitness or something like that.
1: Yeah, man, I would agree with you. I was just in <laughs> Sri Lanka the last half of last year, and my gym was like my mecca. Like that was an incredible place for me. I met everyone uh, there, and I got tons of good recommendations. And yeah, man, you make friends with a couple of the local, local gym bros. They, uh, they got your back, man.
0: There's, there's something about it. You know, here in Thailand as well, you know, like I'll just go to the gym at the park and everyone's, you know, nodding to each other. They're making eye contact. You know, they're, they're saying hello and saying goodbye when you leave. And that never happens anywhere else in Thailand, you know, or in Bangkok. You know, everyone's usually just like passing each other on the street. Nobody bothers to make eye contact with one another or say hello. Um, but something about the gym, you know, there's just kind of that camaraderie. And uh, it's really cool. <laughs> so
1: um, Yeah, no, I like it.
0: So your tip was to, to earn more by kind of getting your own gigs. You know, that's, that's kind of almost parallel to freelancing. Uh, what else did you try to earn more money? And um, was that, would you say that was kind of like the, the catalyst for your freelancing career that you're doing now?
1: that's a really good question actually and yeah i'm i'm 100 I'm like to your point which i think like for listeners is something that's important to mention is a lot of people talk about like hacks for saving money or you know how can i uh get discounts on this or that uh when in reality like probably the better option would be look for other ways that you can make more money to stack on top of that um and have a little bit more of an abundant mindset in that regard um but, uh, but yeah, that's, I'm sorry. What was the question?
0: I, I asked you if that was the start to, um, you kind of branching out. Oh yeah. yeah a okay. Because up until that point you were still an employee and this is when you really started to, uh, I guess become more entrepreneurial. You didn't really have your own business at that point, but at least you were setting out on the path of self-employment.
1: For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I had a blog, I had a travel blog that I was uh, like pretty active on while I was in Korea, just writing about my experience. And I guess one of the first things that really opened my eyes to being able to make money online or in different ways uh, was a lot of people started writing me and asking me for advice about getting a uh, job teaching English in South Korea. Uh, and what I did is started referring them to the company that, uh, who I really believe in, by the way, um, that's got me my English teaching certification, uh, and it treated me really well. And it was very easy for me to refer them uh, because I trusted those people. I believed in the service. Uh, and every referral that actually came through, they started paying me $100. Uh, and that happened, you know. What was the name? Five, six. It's called uh, International TEFL Academy, uh, and they're based in Chicago.
0: Okay. And how much is that TEFL cert- certificate, by the way?
1: I think it's like $1,000. Okay,
0: because I, I know that the price uh, varies quite a bit. There's some that are $1,500. Um, I've seen ones that are more inexpensive than that as well. Uh, but do you recommend people go with that, that company?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I went with International Tevel Academy uh, in Chicago, and I still am in touch with those folks today. Um, They're actually in Colombia right now, and I'm going to meet up with one of their advisors. Uh, I just really believe in what they're doing. Even when I came to Colombia, they put a bunch of feelers out there for me to get another job teaching English uh, without me paying them any extra money. So they give you lifetime job support, uh, and they really coached me up to get the job in Korea in the first place. Uh, and a lot of places don't do that. You can get a TEFL certificate for, uh, like two or 300 bucks. Um, but there's, I mean, there's no guidance and, and you're kind of still on your own after that. So, um, I don't know, it depends on like where you're at, but for me it was really worth it and it was super comprehensive.
0: Okay, cool. So that was when you started to, um, learn that you could leverage, um, you could gain leverage to earn more money without trading, uh, time for dollars that was the first experience when you kind of became an affiliate
1: yeah when i became an affiliate for them that was uh mm-hmm. that was the very first experience so i i had that that seed planted before mm-hmm. um when i when i left korea i made my way to Colombia, um and before i had gotten to Colombia, that was that was definitely in my mind
0: and then what's been the pathway like that since uh since the start when you realized that you you could do this that you could um, find another way to make money besides trading time for dollars you mentioned earlier and I think this is really important you, you mentioned having a, a mindset for abundance uh, learning that you know it's, it's better to go out and find opportunities to create opportunities rather than uh, I guess wait for them to come to you and try to save what you can tell me tell me about that what, what made a big influence on you and, and how have you um, scaled up to where you are now or built in more leverage to where you are now
1: Ooh, well, I mean, I've had like a lot of uh, a lot a lot of influence uh on me for sure. Like one of one of the, the biggest influences on me has been my business partner, Tyler. Um I've actually we've known each other since we were super young and we've gone different ways in life and we kind of met back up with each other in Medellin when I first arrived in Colombia. Um but he's always really pushed me to uh, to do more and really to, to kind of dig deep and find the best within myself. And for a long time, like I, I, the the biggest thing holding me back from becoming an entrepreneur was just, I, I didn't really commit to it. I didn't believe that that was like part of my DNA necessarily. Uh, and he's the one that really like got me over the edge and was like, okay, I'm just going to do this and dive all in. Um, and that's, you know, that fundamentally like shifted who I am, uh, for the rest of my life. Um, so as far as influences, that's, that goes, but back to your other question about like what started, uh, what kind of started everything and led me to kind of start doing the stuff that I'm doing now is, so I, I, I realized I had something with teaching English and that people were willing to pay something for that and that there was a market there that I could make money off of. So, I engaged in a project where I was like trying to sell an ebook um, and actually got a couple people to buy this ebook that I made for teaching English uh, in Korea and I my plan was to like make them all over the world and be super detailed and help people kind of go on their journeys in various places which was a cool idea but at the same time while I was doing that I was using eLance which is upwork now um, to hire freelancers to do graphic design work for me um, and then to do some copy work for me. And one day, uh, Tyler and I were like, Hey, like, I wonder if we could make money as freelancers offering services, uh, rather than, you know, trying to kill ourselves and market this $50 ebook and that we really have no idea what we're doing with. Um, and that was really it, man. Like the, the first project that we applied to, uh, was a job to do some, do some emails for a guy. Um, and that was, that was the first job that we got and that, that blew my mind that, uh, we could actually get work online uh and be paid for it
0: what was the name of that ebook because i think that's how i actually found you was through that uh that brand i was searching on facebook about uh i think like teaching in korea or something like this and uh your uh i guess brand that you set up around that ebook was the the first one to come up i think
1: yeah my my website was lifeabroadtommyj.com and the uh the name of the ebook was uh how to get a job teaching in Korea? How to get a job teaching English in Korea? Uh, version 1.0, and that's uh, that's where it stayed. But it's uh, it's still a super <laughs> relevant resource that uh, that people can you know check out to uh, to get a job in Korea. So that was that was really it. Um, and but yeah, and then through that is is why, is how I started my marketing company. So it was, it was really pretty interesting.
0: Gotcha. So it's just kind of been, uh, from what I take it, it kind of a natural progression. Uh, You started out, you know, just taking baby steps and then you've kind of just built on your success um, until it's gotten you to where you are now. Has it been, uh, how long has it been since you taught English?
1: It's been, it's been about three years now.
0: Three years. Okay. And then, so you mentioned that you saved uh, $20,000 after teaching for, 17 months, so one year and a half. And, um, have, have you reinvested that money into your business or have you just kind of used it to travel Has it been, um, like your launch pad to where you are now?
1: Yeah, it provided me with uh, a nice cushion coming to Columbia and allowed me to focus on things like that and not be super stressed out about it. Um, so that that money really allowed me to have the opportunity to be uh, to approach entrepreneurship in more of a relaxed fashion. You know, I was still I still didn't want to touch it, but um, but that little nest egg really helped out.
0: How long did it take you to earn enough income on your own to replace that job?
1: Ooh, that's a good question as well. Um, <laughs> So another thing about my business partner is he's like one of the most incredible salesmen in the world, and uh, all the sales skills that I've learned, um, I've learned from him. And the first couple things that we sold online, uh, we sold some some projects for like uh, three and a half and five thousand dollars. So there was uh there was like no no messing around right <laughs> um he just like went for high dollar stuff and uh got it in my mind that that's what we were going to sell so it didn't take me very long to be honest with you uh like i know maybe that sounds a little arrogant but like as soon like a month after i made money online uh i was supporting myself
0: so you definitely credit this partnership to your success as an entrepreneur it obviously had a big influence on you Um, How did you go in and and talk to your friend and, uh, I guess, set this partnership up? What was the arrangement like? (laughs)
1: That's a good question as well. (laughs) Um, I don't know, you know, he's like always really believed in me. And uh, I think that that really just... I, I, I didn't always know why, <laughs> like that he really believed in me as like a, a potential business partner, um. but he did. And I think it was just because of some of the, the bolder actions that I took leaving Colorado and doing some other things um, as well that like led him to have confidence in me that maybe I didn't necessarily see in myself. Um, And, you know, he really approached me with the idea. Like we were working on different projects together. Um, and kind of helping each other out. And then like, once we figured out that this was a viable thing, it just made sense to, uh, to partner up because we were kind of already really helping each other. And there was, we really complement each other's personalities pretty well.
0: Did you guys have different roles as far as what you would be doing? I mean, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the ebook that you sold for $50 and then you mentioned, um, that you had a higher price, uh, package like 3000 to 5000 right uh what did did you did he i i guess i i take it that he took on the sales roles and then what what did you do
1: yeah at first he took on the sales roles um and I was responsible for, I did sales too. Like we both, we both do sales. Like I had experience in sales. So like he needed help with that. So I was responsible also for bringing in sales. And to this day, we both still bring in sales. So we both wear that hat, uh, which I think has benefited us in some ways, uh, a lot of ways actually. Uh, and I can get into that more, but, uh, but yeah, at first, um, it was, uh, I was, I was responsible for like bringing on team members. Um, we wrote a couple of our own pieces of email copy and quickly realized that uh, we kind of wanted to skip the freelancing step and go right to business owner. Uh, so we really found qualified uh, copywriters and designers to help us put these projects together uh, and started kind of managing, managing a team from day one. So I found, I found the team members.
0: And what were these uh, team members doing?
1: So when we started out, we were just building out uh, basic sales funnels for people, um, like building out a landing page, like email opt-ins, doing the copy and the graphic design. So they, we had a web developer uh, doing some coding, and he also does web design as well. Uh, so kind of dual talented guy. Uh, so he did all of that, and then we had, we actually had a researcher uh, right away as well. So we did like a target market research report. Uh, to really understand our customers demographics, as far as who they're going after. Um, and then a copywriter that would take the research and, and put the emails together that were already kind of laid out nice and easy and, and primarily just built out the autoresponder campaigns that came after, uh, the opt-in is, is what we, what we offered for a long time.
0: Gotcha. So this is like a marketing services company where you're working with other businesses and, um, Really, all you needed to to start this was just to find the clients, right? So you just go out and pitch them, and then uh, they outsource the work to you. It doesn't require a lot of uh, investment or startup capital.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's that's one thing that we were trying to figure out uh, starting out, is because we, were, when you do a project and you think about entrepreneurship, you think about you have to kind of spend money to make money, and you have to create something first, and then people will buy it. But when you go to a place like Elance or Upwork now, uh, there's so much existing demand that you really just take a look at what people are asking for. Uh, and if you can figure out a way to be selected to provide that service to that person, you can make a lot of money right away.
0: Was well, that how you guys started through these uh, freelancing sites like Upwork and Elance? And is that still what you do now? Because I know you mentioned before the call that uh, you do a lot of, I guess, cold email outreach.
1: Yeah, so the first client that we ever got was off of Elance, as I had mentioned, and we continue to get a lot of clients off of Elance and developed a system uh, where we really got good at that. And we've carried that over into Upwork uh, now. So that's not where we get all of our clients. Uh, We've been around long enough and done enough successful projects for people that we get a lot of referral, uh, a lot of referral people. Um, that come to us and we have a really good personal network of digital entre- entrepreneurs here in Colombia uh, that we've been able to tap into as well. But, uh, for sure, that's definitely a good source of, uh, of leads for us. And we've made a lot of sales on, on those platforms.
0: Excellent. So I know I'm not the only one because, um, I, I wrote a book about, uh, well called hacking Upwork. And, you know, when I published that book and when I promoted it, I, I got a lot of backlash on a lot of forums that, uh, people say, oh, you, you can't make money with Upwork, and it's just uh, bottom feeders, you know, working for $2 an hour. Uh, but, you know, I, I realize that, you know, there are people who have a budget to spend, especially um, if you can help them make more money. You know, if you're helping them with their marketing, helping them get more customers, um, then you can build in a long-term relationship with them. And they don't have to continue to hire you through Upwork. That's just kind of where you meet. It's like uh, Tinder for freelancing. And then you, you take it off off to another platform is that has that what your experience has been like what worked exceptionally well for you?
1: yeah that's a really good point. I know like we've uh, we've definitely got some stuff in common there. I have a like a free mini course uh, people go to make money on upwork dot com actually and access my mini course uh, which talks a lot about uh, the tactics that we use but for sure. I think it has to do with mindset. Thing. Like, if you don't believe that, that you can make money on Upwork, uh, you never will. Um, you just have to understand that those clients are there and play the game a little differently. Position yourself as a premium provider. Um, and if you can do that, still, hey, it's a little bit on Upwork because their algorithm is a little bit different than the one on the so It's a little bit harder to get your, pro- your proposals viewed as neutral, but still. Uh, with zero stars and uh, and no previous work history, uh, if, you, if you come about the proposal correctly, uh, you can certainly uh, win some really high-paying jobs. And, you know, I, I'm still doing that. Like, I, I just won a couple more high-paying jobs off of Upwork, so I know it still works.
0: So you just threw around a couple of buzzwords there. You mentioned uh, mindset. You mentioned being a premium provider. Uh, what other things have you learned as far as what it takes to... Be successful on these freelancing platforms?
1: You have to put in the work for sure as well. Um, I think it's all about like consistently applying to a number of jobs every day. Um, if you really want to be successful on Upwork, uh, there's ways to get continuous job invites but you really have to build yourself some momentum. Um, so uh, having, having the ability to kind of suspend your disbelief um, for like a month when you start working on them before you start actually landing jobs and get your stuff a little bit established is really important. Um, I think uh, I have another buddy on Upwork who uh, has a lot of success in emulating uh, like professional um, professional copywriters profiles on their websites and using that uh, for the type of proposals that he puts together. I think it's really important um, to have really well-written proposals that are super personalized and, uh, and very catchy. And there's some, some really great copywriting techniques that you can use to to help you out with that. Um, and then video proposals, man. I think you talked about this in your book, but uh, just not being afraid to put yourself out there and show your face to the potential client that you're working with. Like Work with people that they know, like, and trust Um, I know that sounds kind of cliche, but it's really true. Uh, and if you're willing to get a little bit personal and put yourself out there and show this person, uh, that you're, that you're real and you're willing to help them, uh, and you can develop a little bit of rapport, then it's much easier to close a, close a, close a job on, on those platforms.
0: You really have to stand out and be different somehow. And one of the best ways to do that is show your personality, show that, uh, you're easier to work with, I guess, because it's really the start of a relationship when you start to work with them.
1: For sure, and there's uh, I think it's uh, Neil Gaiman has like a famous commencement speech, and he says that in order to be a successful freelancer, I, I don't want to butcher butcher this, but there's like three things that you need to do. You either need to be likable, uh, you need to have really good communication. Uh, or you need to have super quality work uh, and if you have two out of those three things uh, you'll be you'll be a okay you'll be a successful freelancer uh, if you can be two out of those three things so good communication, be likable or uh, do really quality work and I've certainly found that to be true. Um, you know even if your work suffers, if you're likable and you have good communication, uh, people will tend to forgive the one that you're lacking.
0: Excellent. So Neil Gaiman commencement speech, right? I can look that up.
1: Yeah, just look it up. Uh, it's it's super famous. It's a it's it's any freelancer or anyone looking to uh, kind of sell themselves as as a creative of any type uh, should definitely watch that speech.
0: Okay, awesome. So I want to ask you um, for your opinion on this. I, I think that one of the biggest frustrations, especially with a platform like Upwork, is um, you know maybe you get a lead, uh, someone contacts you and then you, you follow up and then they just disappear, you know, like people are just like flaky or, you know, they'll, they'll want to ask, they'll come with an inquiry or something like that. And, um, and then they don't follow up on it, you know? Uh, so what has really worked well for you guys as far as, um, you know, once you get that, that prospect, how do you, what's worked really well to convert them to being a client? I mean, you mentioned the video proposal, but what about when they, you know, you follow up and then they don't, you don't hear from them, has that been something that you
1: guys have encountered yeah definitely that's uh, I think it's really important to generally it takes a few touches uh, before someone tells you to actually give you that money once I get someone on the phone with me and I get them to do a skype conversation uh, and I'm actually able to have their their real email address uh, you're still you're still obligated to do the work that you uh, that you encounter that you found through that person on a Um uh, but you can still talk off just so I thought that. Um, but there's like a three step process that we use. And, you know, one is to like deliver great people, uh, get, get their attention, get them to message you back on the platform. You can take them off the platform and send them a call on Skype. Uh, you can either give them your Skype ID or you can use calendly.com, I'm just have them set up a consultation call with you. Um, and then you set up the Skype call with them. Generally, what I do. Is if they if I can get to that point where they make that call, um, after that call uh, I send them a proposal via email. Uh, I make a custom proposal and I send it via email to their personal inbox, uh, and I almost never don't hear back. Um, and if I don't, then I'll follow up every single day until I get a note, um, because you know there's people that have gotten back to me for like a week, uh, and they're just super busy because uh, that project is not not the biggest priority in their life uh, and then i'll end up making a sale so follow-up is really important um, if someone is not getting back to you like just hit them up until you get a no that's that's my general rule of thumb
0: and do so without being desperate or seeming desperate
1: yeah that's a really good point too um, <laughs> and once you get once you get some some traction and you kind of have the pipeline full. Uh, like once you have a lot of prospects, you know, this works with girls too. Like if you, if you've got a lot of chicks that are into you or whatever and you go out, uh, people can feel that energy and like all the chicks want you. Uh, and it's, it's the same in sales really. Like when you have a bunch of prospects waiting to purchase your purchase your stuff, and you have the confidence that, that if this one doesn't work out, then this one will work out. Um, I don't know what it is, but even when I apply to jobs or whatever, when I have that energy, uh, everything really shifts. So it's really important to keep up that momentum.
0: You're not too dependent on the outcome. It's not like it's going to break you if uh, they say no, you know, there's not that whole lot of pressure, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're just, you're just another, you're just another one. Like (laughs) you're not that important to me. And if you can tactfully get that point across, uh, People are gonna be like begging to work with you. It's kind of uh it's kind of funny how that that really flips the script.
0: It's it's also really great when you say, you know, look, um I'd love to work with you, but um my schedule's full. Uh, you might have to wait like three weeks before we can start. Is that all right? Um that's just kind of one way to subtly communicate that that a lot of people use to get us.
1: That sounds stupid though, right? Like you know you're <laughs> lying sometimes. Um <laughs> And you're like, man, I'm not gonna say that. That sounds like that sounds stupid. I'm not really that busy. They're gonna know that's a lie, but they they don't. And <laughs> I don't wanna say that that's like manipulative. Um I guess it is, but that's kind of like sales, we'll just call it persuasion. And um that that really does work. So I think it's always important to talk about, you know, talk about how much business you have on your plate.
0: <laughs> well, if you are just keeping busy, I mean, if you're a self-employed person and you just have, uh, you know, just going out and doing stuff, then it doesn't have to be a lie. Uh, but I, I it's funny you mention that because there is, um, you know, Neil Strauss in his book about dating, uh, the game. He he mentions using that one a lot, where um, he'll meet a girl and he'll just say, "All right, I, I'll tell you about this, but I only have five minutes. Uh, you know, I can't talk for very long. I only have fifteen minutes or something like this." And um, that that way, it, he just kind of reverses the he spins the tables around where it doesn't seem like he's trying to uh, win her favor by talking to her, Um, you know, that he's kind of doing her a favor uh, by giving her some of his time. And it kind of just like changes the whole psychology of that interaction.
1: Yeah, definitely. And (laughs) well, I guess, I guess what I should say, I should take it back because it quickly does become true. Um, If you are, if you do have a full pipeline and you you do have a lot of clients, and you really are busy. Like, uh, if you say that once, uh, those words tend to uh, manifest themselves into reality. So, so you're right that uh, you you end up you end up not having to lie very shortly after that, anyway. Like, it uh, that really does become true.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for this conversation, Tommy. We've talked about a lot of stuff during this call. We we talked about your life. Um, you know, what it was like the hell that you were in before you uh, started on this current path how it began with uh, teaching English and how you're able to save twenty thousand dollars and then parlay that into self-employment and picking up a partner I think that the conversation about picking up a business partner was really interesting because I'd never been able to uh, successfully pick up uh, a business partner so you give me a lot to think about there uh, and freelancing as well I think there was a lot that was discussed and a lot of Valuable information on this call, and I know it's late there in uh, Medellin, and just wanted to say thank you for being
1: so generous with your time. Yeah, man, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Danny.
0: <laughs> so we actually uh, did a project together with this book. Um, you know, we both kind of pitched in to create this uh, this book teaching in East Asia because. I've never taught in East Asia, but it's something that I really believe in. I think that it's great to have a runway, especially if you're you know, starting out your life, if you're young, if you're a millennial and you're in debt, you don't know how to start out. I think it's a great opportunity right now. And um, I think it's, you've done a great job of sharing your experience teaching in South Korea and um, how you're able to, to leverage that into this uh, life transformation that you took. Um, but perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your book and what's in it. What can people expect?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm super happy and proud to, uh, have worked on that project with you teaching English in East Asia is it's, it's, a. Uh, It's kind of a snapshot into my life and the journey that I took to get to where I am today. Uh, It'll teach you and tell you basically everything that you need to know if you're considering getting a job in South Korea or East Asia and really walk you through all the steps literally that you need to do it um, and give you all of the insight into what it would actually be like to live in that country um, that you would go to before you do it. Uh, Myself, uh, and Danny put the book together and we also had, I think, did we get seven or eight contributors?
0: Yeah, a bunch of case studies from uh, all over East Asia, so Japan, Taiwan, uh, China, and South Korea.
1: Right. So there's, a, it's not just my experience. There's other legitimate experiences. And one of the things that we really try to do is all those case studies that we put together. Like These are people that have gone on uh, to do a lot of other cool things in their life. So a couple other digital uh, entrepreneurs, a couple other people that are still in grad school in different countries, uh, still living abroad, doing their thing, uh, and have really been able to leverage that experience to do a lot more in their life. Um, and I think this is this is a great showcase uh, to to what teaching English really can be uh, for you and how it really can transform your life. Uh, if you're looking to to take a, a new direction and kind of unfulfilled uh, or even just really in a bad spot, and need to get out of debt, get out of debt. Like that's not uh, not an embarrassing place to start. Um, a lot of beautiful things can happen from there. So I'm um, super passionate about it and I'm I'm super proud to be a part of the project.
0: Who would you say this opportunity is for? I mean, obviously, you need to be able to speak English pretty well, um, but do you have to be, like, a young person? I mean, obviously, it's great if you start young and you teach, uh, but would this work for someone who's, like, uh, 35 or 40? Uh, could they could they teach as well?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, and I think now, much more than maybe a few years ago, it's uh, it's becoming... Easier for older people to to get these jobs abroad, and it's becoming more of a of a realistic possibility. A lot of my friends over there uh, were were around that age, Um, and I think it's for it's really for anyone. Like no matter what age you are, uh, there there are very limited age restrictions in East Asia. They do have some, but. Uh, even if you're older, you can still get a job over there, uh, even if it's your first time teaching English. So I, I wouldn't limit it to age uh, at all. Even if you're just looking for a, an experience to do solo, I have a lot of uh, friends that were in their 40s that went and did it as couples. Uh, it's just an incredible experience that can be the catalyst for like a lot of different things. And uh, usually after you're done with it, uh, you you almost certainly don't go back to whatever you were doing before. Like It, uh, it stays with you.
0: Yeah, and it's great if you just want to like get out from where you are and travel. And um, part of it is that kind of isolation. You know, you're isolating yourself from your life and the culture you're used to in your society. You don't feel the same kind of pressures that you have back home, and uh, it really kind of opens up your world, I guess you could say, to think and you know, and to to think. You know, what what do I really want to do with my life? And it gives you that time and that that freedom to, to make that shift if that's what you want to
1: do. Yeah, man, that solitude is huge. And if you can find your own little your own little island, um, it's kind of what I like to refer to is it as like just your own little place to be by yourself, um, and really afford that time. Um, it's incredible. You know, most people like go through their entire lives without really having the opportunity to be alone and think for themselves. And I think that's that's really important. That's a, that's a giant, giant piece of uh, of kind of getting to the next level, uh, no matter what you're trying to do in life.
0: It's funny you mentioned island because that's actually the name of my uh, first book, by Your Own Island. And
1: uh, <laughs> Oh, island, yeah, that's right.
0: The island is that symbol of independence and freedom excellent well go check out that book so if if you actually um i mean i don't want to plug it just because it's our book but (laughs) if if you get it during the launch if you um find it on amazon you can get it for 99 cents during the launch it will be discounted and um you know we're we're launching this book soon i really hope to to do really well and launch another bestseller and uh should be a lot of fun i'm looking forward to
1: it yeah man definitely i mean i uh I'll plug it. Go buy that book, Teaching English in, uh, or Teaching in East Asia. It's it's awesome. It, it really is. I'm, I'm super proud of it. And uh, I know whoever uh, buys the book and gets their hands on that copy will be super impressed with uh, the design that Danny did and, uh, and hopefully super happy with the content inside.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tommy. If someone wants to interact with you and get in touch with you, where are the best places to do that?
1: Yeah, you can uh, you can just hit me up on uh, on my personal email, like thomas.joiner at gmail.com. Um, I'm always open to talking people that are looking to uh, kind of change their lives in any sort of way. Um, if you're interested in freelancing specifically, uh, a great, great place to start would be makemoneyonupwork.com, uh, where I have my mini course. Then, um, of course, if you're interested in uh, content marketing services, which is what I primarily do, uh, my website is uh, gingerbread dot marketing. So those are those are the places you can find me.
0: Excellent. Thank you again, Tommy, for uh, sharing your experience and knowledge with us. Appreciate it.
1: No worries, man. My pleasure. Take care. Later.